how to make a fresh start this New Year's. Read this week that uh, six out of ten people consider 2013 to have been an uninspiring year. Two-thirds of people thought the year was uninspiring. Four out of ten families thought that 2013 was a devastating year. And so as we begin, I just want to ask a, a simple question here. If you had last year to live over again, how many of you would do something differently? If you could do 2013 over again, how many of you would do, oh, that's great, you're in the right spot, preaching to the right crowd? Because sometimes life doesn't go the way we planned. Sometimes uh, we give life our best shot and we still come up short. We study for the test and we still fail. We work hard, we don't get the promotion. We work on our marriage, but we just don't see any progress. And one of the things that I love about New Year's Eve, uh, regardless of what happened last year, when I get to New Year's Eve, I got a brand new year. One of my favorite things to do this time of year is to go to the office supply store and buy a nice big new calendar for 2014. Because uh, I look at that new year and it's just all blank. It's just, you know, I look at the old one and it's all marked up and all scratched out and things didn't happen the way we thought they would and all that. But here's a new year, fresh opportunities, a new chance. God is very interested in your future. In fact, Isaiah 43 says, the Lord says, forget about what has happened before. Do not think about the past. Instead, look at the new things I'm going to do. And I genuinely believe that God is going to do some new things in 2014, and I'm excited about them. But notice he says, forget about what's happened before, because God is far more interested in your future than he is in your past, because the future is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. Too many people think that all God wants to do is just remind us of all the things that we did wrong, and you're wrong. That's not what God wants. God wants us to move ahead into the future. God has a hope and a future for his people. And so regardless of what you've experienced this past year, uh, here's how you can make a fresh start as we move into a new year. Five things, S-T-A-R-T today. Uh, the S stands for stop making excuses. If I want a fresh start, I've got to stop making excuses for my behavior. I've got to stop blaming other people. I've got to stop seeing myself as the victim of my circumstances. You know, lame excuses are one of the things we've got to put off. And I've got some examples here today. These are actual excuses for auto accidents that people put on insurance claim forms. Okay? So listen to some of these. We're, we get pretty creative. Going to work at 7 a.m. this morning, I backed out of my driveway straight into a bus. The bus was five minutes early. I started to slow down, but the traffic was more stationary than I thought. I pulled onto the shoulder with smoke coming from under the hood. I realized the car was on fire, so I took my dog and smothered it with a blanket. I think they smothered the fire, not the dog, okay? <laughs> that one always scares everybody. They're all, okay. Nobody gets hurt in any of these, just so, so feel free. The car in front hit the pedestrian, but he got up, so I hit him again. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. 
Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) Remember, nobody gets hurt. I saw a slow-moving, sad-faced old gentleman as he bounced off the hood of my car. (laughs) Uh, we got to move on. Okay. 2014. Let me be clear. Other people can hurt you. Other people can harm you. Other people can scar you in life. But nobody can ruin your life without your permission. Okay? Nobody can ruin your life without your permission. Regardless of what happens. We don't know what's going to happen next year, but regardless of what happens, you get to choose how you're going to respond to it. You get to choose. And the starting point for a fresh start is to stop making excuses and accept responsibility. Look at this verse, 1 John 2, 28. Love it in the message. It says, And now, children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears. Ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Underline that phrase, no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses. You know, God says we're to live life in such a way that we, don't, we have no need for guilt. We have no need for lame excuses. And that's pretty hard because we want to pass the buck. It's always somebody else's fault. We want to blame other people. We want to blame the environment. We want to blame the government. We want to blame the economy. We want to blame our parents, our friends, our spouse, our boss. We want to blame other people when we fail. But God says, you know, uh, most of your failures are caused by you. Three causes of failure. One is we fail in life when we don't plan ahead. Proverbs tells us a sensible man watches for problems and prepares to meet them. But the fool never looks ahead and suffers the consequences. Jesus tells the story of a guy who was going to build a tower, but he didn't count the cost. And so he got the tower half built, ran out of money, never finished the project, and looked foolish. Tells the story of a king who went off to war, took his army off to war, but he didn't bother to count his soldiers and count the soldiers of the other guy, and so he goes into war and he loses because he didn't plan ahead. You know, don't blame other people for your failures if you don't plan ahead. You know, before you start a project, make sure you've got the resources to finish it so you don't fail. Another reason we fail is we don't listen to others. The Bible says plans fail without good advice. So you need to get all the good advice you can get and then you need to follow it. And one of the reasons we don't follow good advice is because of pride. But pride always leads to destruction. I'm setting myself up for failure if I don't listen to the advice of other people. Third reason we fail is we give up too soon. Failure is the path of least persistence. We give up too soon. If you give up when trouble comes, it just shows that you are weak. But the truth is very few people make it on the first try. You know, oftentimes we give up when success is around the corner. We give up too soon. But the world, history is full of world-class failures who didn't give up. George Washington lost two out of every three battles in the Revolutionary War and still won the war. Napoleon graduated 42nd in a class of 43 students from the military academy, and then he went out and conquered Europe. Never even hear about the other 41. Abraham Lincoln lost 10 out of 12 elections before he was elected president. 
Babe Ruth struck out nearly twice as often as he hit home runs. The key is you stop making excuses, you admit your faults, and you get on with it. Because people who are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. So S, start, and start stands for stop making excuses. The T stands for take stock. I need to look at my life, look at what I have left after the failure. If I've had a financial failure, I need to stop and take stock. What finances do I have left? What resources do I have left? If I've had a relational failure, I need to take stock. What are my relationships like? Do I have any healthy relationships? If I've had a moral failure, I need to ask, what can I learn from this sin? Galatians 3, 4 says, you have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. God wants you to use your life experiences, even your failures, and not waste them. One of the things that we teach here at Rockbrook in our life development classes, in our uh, ministry class, Kenny Baum teaches the fact that God uses your life experiences to shape you for ministry. God uses your personal experiences, the family you grew up in, the neighborhood you lived in, the town you lived in, uh, the parents you had, the brothers and sisters, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your personal experiences, God uses those. He uses educational experiences to shape you, all the things you've learned, the schools you went to, their vocational experiences, even from back to the paper route or the lawn mowing you did as a kid to what you did in college to the various jobs and careers that you've had in life. God uses those. God uses spiritual experiences. God can even use your unbelief and and, and time wandering around in spiritual darkness, maybe even rebellion. God can use that to shape you for ministry. And God can use going to church and uh, children's ministry, youth ministry, camps, uh, conferences, campaigns, retreats, your daily Bible reading. God uses those spiritual experiences in your life. And most importantly, God uses painful experiences to shape you. God never wastes a hurt. And your most effective ministry is probably going to come out of your deepest wound. Because God never wastes a hurt. Now, in Celebrate Recovery, we we teach the importance of a spiritual inventory. The idea of taking stock of your life. And too often when we think of taking stock or doing an inventory, we think that what we're going to do is we're going to make a list of all the bad things that have happened to us. And we're going to make a list of all the bad things that we've done. But a healthy inventory is balanced. It includes the good things I've done. It includes the good things that have happened to me. And we can look back at 2013 and focus on the bad things that happened, the failures and the disappointments, but there are good things that happened this past year too. And we need to include those when we take stock of our life. It needs to be an honest assessment. And so you ask yourself three questions. First, you ask, what have I learned? What have I learned from this uninspiring year? You know, there are people who've lived 40 and 50 years, but they don't have 40 and 50 years of experience. They have one year of experience that they've lived over 40 or 50 times because they've never learned anything from their experiences. The key to mistakes and failures is to learn from them so you don't repeat them. Then you need to ask, what are my assets? Uh, What do I have left? Have I got my health? Am I mentally sound? Do I have family? Do I have friends? I've got the Lord. Uh, I've got a church family. What are my assets? And then you ask, who can help me to make a fresh start? Because you don't make a fresh start on your own. It happens in community. You need to have people uh, plugged into your life. Friends, an accountability partner, a sponsor, a small group, 
somebody to walk along with you as you make uh, a fresh start. And the reason you need other people is because you need their perspective. Each one of us has kind of our own personality, our own unique perspective on life. And so we need other people to see it uh, from a different angle. You know, in my own family, there are five of us in my family, my wife and I and our three kids, two boys and a girl. And some of them are married now, and we've got grandkids, and the family's growing. But the, the five of us, I've noticed over the years that we have five different perspectives on life. Uh, I can tend to be a bit of a pessimist, so I see the glass as half empty. Uh, my wife is an optimist. She sees the glass as half full. Uh, Ryland is a pragmatist. He sees a glass that's twice as big as it needs to be. Okay? My daughter looks at it and goes, what a beautiful glass. Because she sees life with beauty. And my son Andrew, he looks at it and goes, hey, something to drink. Are there snacks? Okay. We just have different perspectives on it. And so when you're taking stock, you want those different perspectives as it comes in. Because you want a realistic framework. And when you take stock, it allows you to rise up out of the ruins of your failure. You can survey the damage, salvage what's good, clear away the rubble, repair what can be fixed, and then you can move on. But over the years, I have learned that there is great value in living an examined life. Paul tells us, let a man examine himself. And so there's power in evaluation. But a lot of times, we don't want to examine our lives. You know, we don't want to get on the scales or have our blood pressure checked. For years, I refused to get on the scale. I didn't want to get my blood pressure checked because I knew the numbers were going to be bad. You know, we, we don't want to balance the checkbook or total up our credit cards. The bills come, we just try and make the minimum payment and stick the, the bills away because we don't want to know how much we owe. We don't want to do a budget because a budget's going to tell us that we can't afford to live the way we're living. We don't want to ask serious questions about our marriage we'd rather just act like we don't have any problems all the way to divorce court but taking stock is important and it's not about trying to fix the blame it's not about trying to relive the hurts and wounds of the past it's not about trying to, to you know to foster guilt in our life it, it's about getting an accurate assessment of where you are because if you're going to move forward and get to a destination you've got to know where you are You've got to know where you are in order to get to where you want to go to. Next thing you need to do, the A stands for act in faith. The key to changing anything is faith. If you want to change your circumstances, it takes faith. If you want to change your personality, it takes faith. If you want to break a bad habit, it takes faith. Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And that means we tend to get out of life what we expect out of life. You know, what are you expecting in 2014? Uh, I think it's going to be a crummy bummer of a year. Guess what? It'll be a crummy bummer of a year because that's what you expect it to be. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And so, you know, we've got to start expecting more of ourselves, expecting more from God, expecting more out of life. And I agree. I mean, I recognize that, you know, we live in a day and age where, you know, I mean, bad things are happening. We're on the wrong track as a culture and as a country. The world is, is just falling apart. I mean, you can just see it. But folks, God has good plans in the future for his people. And we need to expect good things from God. That's a principle of faith. And in order to start acting in faith, you've got to stop having a pity party. 
You've got to quit being the victim and say, oh, life is unfair. Of course life is unfair. Nobody said life would be fair. God never said life would be fair. God is fair. Life is unfair. Because of sin that's in the world. And because of that, it's just unfair. You've got to stop rehearsing and regretting the past and get on with the present and the future. Because the more you regret 2013, the more you waste of 2014. The more time you spend thinking, oh, I wish that hadn't happened, and rehearsing and regretting, the more you are poisoning your future. So you, the way you set yourself up for failure is by focusing on past failures. Because what you focus on, that's what you tend to reproduce in your life. So you want to learn from your failures. You want to take stock. I mean, every successful businessman knows that failure is the pathway to success. You know, failure is, is the way you figure out what doesn't work. So you don't really call it failure. You just call it an education. And some of us are very well educated. Okay? You, you, you know lots of things that don't work in your marriage. You know lots of things that don't work in your personal life. You know lots of things that don't work at making a living. You know lots of things that don't work at raising kids. That's okay. Build on that. Because you rarely get it right the first time. But God doesn't want you to wallow in your past. God wants you to wade into the future. And you're going to live next year either by design or by default. You're either going to have a plan in which you say, this is what we're going to do, these are the goals we're setting, this is the direction we're headed, or you're just going to be tossed about. Everybody else is going to design your life for you. And your circumstances and accidents and incidents are going to determine where you end up next year. Because too many people go through life just drifting according to the circumstances. God says no. He says we should make plans counting on God to direct us. Now, honestly, you know, I'm 58. I don't know that I've ever seen a time in my life when I believe we more desperately need God to direct us in our plans than in this coming year. I mean, we need to make plans, and we need God to direct us. And we need to set goals, personal goals, family goals, spiritual goals, financial goals. And you may not reach them all, but they will set the direction of where your life is headed. And so you want to step out in an act of faith. You want to say, God, where do you want me to go? And you move in that direction. And one thing that will keep you from stepping out in an act of faith is worrying about what other people think. And you have to make a decision. You know, who, who do I want to disappoint? Do I want to disappoint the people around me or do I want to disappoint God? Because being afraid of people can get you into trouble. When you worry about what the world around you thinks, uh, you're not going to do what God wants you to do. Uh, you're going to do the convenient thing rather than the thing that flows out of conviction. You're going to do what looks right according to the word rather than what is right according to the word. And so uh, don't make that mistake this next year. The last few years, we've been working with a group of pastors in North India. We're actually up to about 9,000 pastors in the 2020 network in North India. And the goal is to increase the Christian population from 2% to 20% by the year 2020. And that's why it's the 2020 network. And every year in December, these guys do a conference and they bring some of the leaders from all over Uttar Pradesh. That's the state we're working in. They call it UP for short. So they bring people, all pastors from all over UP come to this conference. And I want you to see some video. We just got this the other day from these guys at their annual conference. Let's watch this. 
who've set a goal and they're stepping out and acting in faith. Uh, even if we die while we're doing it, uh, we are not going to turn back. We're going to fulfill the Lord's command. Next if, uh, in start is the R. You need to refocus your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your focus. Uh, this time of year, there can be a lot of slick roads and streets, and one of the keys to driving on slick streets is focus. 
I uh, saw a study this week that talked about that, that one of the keys on ice is when your car starts to skid, your car is going to go where you focus your eyes. In other words, if you focus on the ditch, you're going to go in the ditch. If you focus on the other car, you're going to hit it. So you need to focus your eyes on where you want the car to go because your car follows your focus. And the same thing is true with your life. Your life follows your focus. So which memories of 2013 are you still rehearsing? I mean, there are things that happened in life uh, that you're ashamed of. We all have disappointments, failures, dumb decisions, mistakes, hurts and wounds that we've received from others. Every time you think about those things over and over again, you're reinforcing them in your mind and you are setting the pathway of your life with your thoughts. Negative thoughts set a negative direction for your life. And so you've got to let go of those things. Your past is past. It's over and done. Your past cannot hurt you without your permission. Now, how do you let go of those things? Well, the first part is confession. And and we tend to think that confession means admitting something. It means admitting our guilt, uh, revealing our failure, exposing our sin. And that's part of it, but what confession literally means is to confess, to say the same thing about something as God says, to speak together about it. And yes, God says that our sin is wrong, but God also says something about our sin. God says that our sin can be forgiven. And too often people confess their sin, but then they still feel guilty. Because they haven't said the same thing about their sin that God says. Yes, they've agreed with God that it's wrong. They haven't agreed with God that it's been forgiven. And we need to do that part of confession as well. You stop focusing on what you did wrong and you start focusing on what Jesus Christ did right. You get your attention onto something else. And one of the best things you can focus on is God's Word. Focus on the truth. Psalm 1. Uh, talks about meditation. Meditation is a companion of confession. Okay? You need both of those if you're going to get rid of the past. And Psalm 1 says, Happy are those who are always meditating on God's Word. They're like trees along a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Circle happy and succeed. Because that's what everybody wants in the new year. We all want to be happy. We all want to succeed. And the way you get there is by meditating on God's Word. Because the more you meditate on God's Word, the more happy and successful you'll be. It's a promise from God. Now, what does it mean to meditate? If you look the word meditate up in the dictionary, it doesn't mean something uh, mystical or scary or even super spiritual. If you look up the word meditate in a dictionary, it simply says this, to focus, to concentrate, to think about something over and over in your mind. Now the truth is, you do that all the time when you worry. You know, worry is just negative meditation. You just pick something and you think negative thoughts about it over and over. But biblical meditation is taking a Bible verse and thinking about it over and over. You know, the Bible doesn't say if you read this book you'll be happy and successful. It doesn't say if you put this book on your coffee table, you'll be happy and successful. It doesn't say if you put Bible verses on your t-shirt that you're going to be happy and successful. It says if you meditate on this book, if you think about it 
over and over. If I grapple with what I say, if I, it, what it says, if I consider the implications for my life, maybe I write a verse down on a card and I just ponder it over and over and you just fill my mind with God's word and it changes my mind and it will change the direction of your life. You know, now people get, get hung up. You know, so I, I, I tried real hard not to use the word memorize because you say you need to memorize a verse and everybody freaks out. I can't memorize anything. People freak out about that. But, you know, you say meditation. They think, oh, something spooky, something super spiritual. You know, that's what monks or that's what pastors do. But truth is, anybody can meditate on a Bible verse. All you have to do is pick out a Bible verse and then worry about it. (laughs) Just pick out a Bible verse and fret. Okay? Just think about, oh, how does this apply to my life? How do I do this? How can I do this? Should I do this? Am I doing this? What's going on? Just fill your mind with it. And it will set the course, it will set the direction of your life. Because the Bible is full of murderers, adulterers, thieves, cheats, and liars. And Jesus Christ gave every one of them a second chance. Jesus Christ gave every one of them a fresh start. And they set a new direction for their life. And you can do the same thing. Regardless of the failures in your life, it's never too late for you to start over. And it's always too soon for you to quit. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah and how God called Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh and preach. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go there because he hated the Ninevites and they were mean, and so he went as far as he could in the other direction. Wound up in a ship out in the Mediterranean Sea. There was a storm. The sailors voted and decided to throw Jonah over, and the storm stopped, and now Jonah's floating around in the water, and a whale comes along and swallows him. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of a whale. And if you, I've never done this, but if you spend three days in the belly of a whale, you have a lot of time to meditate. Okay? You've got a lot of things that you can, you can fret about. And Jonah began to meditate and think on what God had told him, and he repented. And it says in the story, that, the, and this is one of my favorite parts, it says that the whale vomited him out on dry ground. Isn't that gross? I just love that. And then, and then this, this, is, this is so cool. In, in Jonah 3.1, it, it says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. I mean, don't you just love that? After all this stuff that had happened, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Are you going to go? And he got a second chance. And that's what God says to all of us. I don't know what kind of whale vomit you've been spending time in. Okay, but the word of the Lord is coming to you a second time and God's saying, here we go. This is a fresh start. This is your second chance. How do you capture it? It's the T in start. You trust God to help you succeed. It's not depending on yourself. That's what got you, that's what got you into the belly of the whale in the first place. That's what, that's what made last year uninspiring, is trusting in yourself. No, the key isn't, isn't that you try harder. The key is that you trust God more. Because Zechariah says, you will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the key, trusting God more. You want to wipe the slate clean? You want a fresh start? You want a new shot at it? Second Corinthians says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside not the same anymore a new life has begun God specializes in new beginnings God says I don't want you to turn over a new leaf I want you to turn over a new life 
He tells Joel, he says, Joel, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Tells Isaiah, I will give you beauty for ashes. And you may say, oh, pastor, you, just, you don't know. You don't know what it's been. I mean, you think 2013 was bad. Man, you should have seen my 2012, my 2011. I mean, I have wasted years. God wants to give you a fresh start. Will you receive it? Let's pray together. Would you just pray this prayer in your heart? Would you say, God, you know the hurt in my heart. You've seen me stumble and fall and fail. You, you know what I'm ashamed of. You know where I've hurt others. You know how I've been hurt. And God, as I begin a new year, I just ask you to give me a fresh start. I, I stop making excuses. I accept responsibility for my part of the problems. God, just forgive me for not listening to you. Forgive me for not taking the advice of other people. And help me to take stock of the good things I still have in my life. Help me to learn from my experiences. And today, I want to act in faith. I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me and to guide me from here on out. I thank you that, yes, my sin is sin and it's wrong, but my sin is also forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so, God, I want to focus my thoughts on you and your word, and I trust you to give me the power to start over and do the right thing. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen.